Today we continue our series in the book of Acts, and, and what we're going through the book of Acts, like this is a, an adventure, it's a journey, and our passage today is the turning point in the book of Acts, because now Paul and Barnabas are going to the ends of the earth, and, uh, and we're looking at chapters 13 and 14 tonight, and then this week we are challenging everyone to read chapters 13 and chapters 14 throughout the week, whether for some if you read it once, that's a win, all right, for some if you read it twice, that's a, what you're, that's a win. Whatever it is for you, read, but let's be in the Word regularly throughout the week, and we want to read chapters 13 and 14. And so tonight, this weekend, we're going to look at Paul's first missionary journey. He goes on three, but we're going to look at his first missionary journey and kind of to set the stage. So in Acts chapter 13, we're going to come back, and on the front of your programs there, if you're ever wondering, what, where are those places? It's right here, and uh, the top there is Asia Minor. That's modern-day Turkey, kind of give you the little geographical lesson. We're going to look at two years and just a short time that we have. And that's why we want to continue reading throughout the week, and uh, we're going to look at this. But let's look at uh, Acts chapter 13, and we're going to read verses uh, 1 to uh, one to 12. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting... While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and sailed there from Cyprus when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bargesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But, Eli, uh, but Elimus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. We get a glimpse into the early church, into what they were doing. They were praying and they were fasting. They were waiting on the Lord. Lord, what is it you'd have us to do now? What is it 
you want us to go. We are relying on you. And they prayed and they fasted. And in biblical days, when they're talking about fasting, generally they're talking about fasting from food. And the purpose we fast from food is because we, we acknowledge that we live on the Word of God, not on bread alone. And so that when we eat, we fill our, our, our bodies. But when we don't have food, we get hungry and our stomachs start to growl. And we realize, Lord, I need your word so much. I need your presence so much. And there's something unique and something special that happens when you and I engage in fasting. And biblical days, it was generally food that they fasted from. On rare occasions, they would do a complete fast, which is fast from water and fast from food. Um, but when we talk about fasting, we're talking about giving up things that we rely on and realizing that God is our main source of everything. And here's a quick thought about fasting. When we fast, we realize what controls us. Because when we fast from the things that are comfort to us, we realize the things that control us. So they prayed and they fasted. And the Lord said to them, Sin away Barnabas and Paul. These are two influential leaders, and the Lord says, Send those two influential leaders away. How must have that have felt? The two influential leaders who were loving and caring and powerful and smart. The Lord says, no, you're going to go on a journey, and they are going to end up being gone for about two years. What's that do for the community? They must have felt lonely. They must have felt sad. They must have felt uh, like they're missing out. But other people God raised up. Other people God raised up to help them lead the community when their leaders weren't there. It's interesting when that happens in our lives. Sometimes we think, oh, I can't do that. But when we realize we have to rely on God, we give God the credit to do the things that we have accomplished. So then uh, they, they, they left. Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark left. And uh, John Mark, you might remember John, John Mark traveled along with them. John Mark was the guy last week when Peter left the prison and an angel had him miraculously escape from prison. He went to Mary's house, the mother of John Mark. John Mark is also the person who wrote the gospel of Mark. And so that's that same John Mark that went with them, kind of tagged along on this missionary journey. And so, so they go down to this island of Cyprus here. And you can see here, they went to the island of, of, of Cyprus. They ended up in, in, in Salmias. And then when they get there, they travel all the way down to Paphos. But as they're, as they're traveling down from Salmias to Paphos, on the one side of the island to the other side of the island, they're preaching the gospel. And then we have the proconsul or the governor who's in Paphos, which is the capital city of Cyprus at this time. He's there, and he's hearing reports about it. Because when Paul and Barnabas get closer, and John Mark, when they get closer, he says he wants to hear the word of the Lord. And so the governor calls Barnabas and Paul because this message of Jesus was compelling, and he wanted to hear it right from their mouths, what is really going on. So he goes, 
And, and he starts telling the message about Jesus, about his, his forgiveness, about the cross, about the death and the resurrection. And the, and, the, and the governor is really engaged with this. And then there's a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. What a weird name, Bar-Jesus. I don't, I'm sure there's some etymology there, but just Bar-Jesus. What's your name, Bar-Jesus? Jesus? No, Bar-Jesus. I don't know why I think that's funny. It's just anyways. But this Bar-Jesus guy comes up to to, to Paul and Barnabas and says, hey, um, you know, what you're saying is a lie. And they start contradicting them. And then Paul looks at them and he says, you're going to be blind. You are a friend or a child of the devil, an enemy of everything that's right, or an enemy of everything that is right. Then Paul made Bar-Jesus Bar go blind and, and the governor Sergius Paulus, the proconsul, the governor, believed in Christ. Just from this short account here, when they're on the island of Cyprus, there's three things we could just take away from this. One, whenever there's a new work of God, we can expect opposition and confrontation. Whenever there's a new work of God, we can expect opposition and confrontation. Two, give credit to where credit is due. Oftentimes in the Bible, the Romans got a bad rap because, well, they did lots of bad things. But this Roman official was a good guy. And Luke, the writer of Acts, made sure, made sure he gave credit to where credit was due. Third, from here on out, Saul starts using the name Paul. Because he doesn't know, he no longer wants to go by the name of Paul or by Saul anymore because that's the name that he was known as a Pharisee and somebody who was persecuting the Christians. So Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark, they sailed from Paphos to, 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 to Perga in the region of Pamphylia. So, so what they do is they go from the island and then, then they take the boat north and they go to the mainland. And they go in this area called Pamphylia right up there. And uh, remember, this area up there now is, is modern-day Turkey. And so they, they go up there, and John Mark, we read in Acts chapter 13, verse 13, left them. John Mark left them. He, we're not exactly sure why John Mark left. I don't know if it's because he was scared, if he was homesick, if he got ill. I don't know. But he left them. And later on, we find out Barnabas and Paul are actually fighting over the fact of whether they should take John Mark on another missionary journey. And and short story is that Paul says, no, we're not taking them. And Barnabas says, no, we are taking them. And then these two Christian leaders are like yelling at each other. And it's, that's coming up in the weeks to come. There's drama in the Bible, all right? If you ever feel like there's like no drama in the Bible, there's drama in the Bible. And, uh, and so, so, so he leaves, and he takes off, and he goes and does his, uh, and he goes home. And so in Antioch, uh, and Poseidon, Antioch, from Perga, Paul and Barnabas headed north to Poseidon, Antioch, and preached in the synagogues at uh, and preached in the synagogues there. But here's what's interesting when they end up in Antioch. We see a shift in leadership. We start seeing Saul taking the lead. Now, I don't know if he starts taking the lead here because he's 
closer to his hometown of Tarsus, which is just about 200 miles about from where they are. I don't know if he starts taking the lead here because once they start going to synagogues, which was how they did their missionary journeys, once they start going to synagogues, they feel more comfortable. He feels more comfortable. But we start seeing this Saul taking more and more uh, steps to, to, to take the lead. And Barnabas is kind of taking more of a support role in what's going on here. So, so, um, so they're in Antioch. And uh, this is not the Antioch they left from, obviously. It's Antioch Poseidon. And so they're in Antioch, and they're preaching the message of Jesus. And Paul is using history. So he goes to this, he goes to this uh, synagogue, and in this synagogue, he's preaching the history of the Israelites, the histories of the Hebrews. And here's what's fascinating about what Paul is doing. He knows who he's talking to. He knows his audience, and so he tailor makes this message for the audience, because we'll see him in future times give different messages similar, but different because he knows who he's talking to. So he talks about creation. He talks about the kings. He talks about King David. He talks about the prophets, and then he even talks about John the Baptist, and he brings all that back to Jesus. And while he's talking about the history of this, he starts talking about the good news, that the good news, he says, is not just for the Jewish, the Hebrews, or the Jews, or the Israelites. The good news is for everyone, those who are Jews and those who are not Jews. The good news is what has been proclaimed and should have been proclaimed since day one. And so he talks about David, who was a thousand years prior to this. Then he talks about John the Baptist, who was about 20 years or so, give or take, um, prior to this. And he has these signposts, the signposts of King David saying someone else is coming. The signposts of the prophet saying someone else is coming, a Messiah is coming. Then he has this signpost of John the Baptist saying Jesus is the one. And so he paints this picture of Hebrew history with King David and the prophets and John the Baptist. And then he's telling everyone, Jesus is the only one who died and who rose again. He is the Messiah. He did a masterful job of Taylor making his message as, and getting it across as clearly as he could with his audience because he knew his audience. Now let me stop there for one second. How often do you and I get a chance to share our story of faith? I mean, we have the story, you know, a number of us have the story that we came to faith in Jesus and, and that he's our Savior. But we also have the story of what Jesus is doing in our lives now. When was the last time we had the opportunity or we took the opportunity to share the message of Jesus with our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, those who we care about. When was the last time we took that step of faith and said, hey, have you ever, you know, wondered about who Jesus was? Or can I let you know what God's been doing in my life? That's a challenge, and that's, that's, that's bold. But that's what Paul and Barnabas are doing, and they're doing that, and they're being persecuted for that. And so this message of Paul was so compelling that as they're in Antioch, they're preaching the synagogue was so compelling, they said, hey, can you come back the following Sabbath? 
So Paul and Barnabas says, yes, we will come back the following Sabbath. So then the following Sabbath comes, which is Saturday. The Sabbath comes. And then all of a sudden they realize they have a packed house. Most of the people in the city are there. Not just the people in the city, but these other Hebrews, these other Jews who were in the area, who were trying, who were, who were upset at the message Paul and Barnabas were preaching, they were there too because they were protesting what Paul and Barnabas were preaching. And in Acts chapter 13, verse 46, this is where we pick up our story. Acts chapter 13, verse 46 to 52. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. This is when uh, the agitators will call them. The agitators are like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're going against custom. Like, wh- who do you think you are? And then, then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first, to the Jews first. Since you rejected it and do not consider yourself worthy of eternal life. Can you imagine just the tension rising in the room? Like, since you don't want eternal life, the tension's just high. It's like just, it's going full speed. Since you reject it and do not consider yourself worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. We now turn to everyone else who's not a Jew. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. And he quotes from the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. I have made you a light for the Gentiles. That you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jewish leaders incited the, uh, the, the, the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and were filled with the Holy Spirit. The gospel first was to go to the Jews. The the message was to go to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. The story of the Hebrew uh, nation was that they didn't take the love of God to all the other nations, yet they quarreled with all of the other nations. And so you have this going on, and then they kick them out, and they say, get out of here. But we have to understand that what Paul is doing here is much more than a history lesson. Yes, it is a history lesson, but it's much more than a history lesson. What Paul is doing here is he's providing a warning. Something new is happening under your very nose, he tells the Hebrews. Something is happening under your very nose, and unless you join in, you're going to miss it. God is doing a new thing, something God had promised all the way back from the days of Abraham. I was reading this week in this commentary by N.T. Wright about why the Hebrews were so furious and irritated and ticked off at Paul and Barnabas about this message. Because we look at the message at first glance and we go, oh, that's great, that's good news, yeah. But, but there's something much deeper going on. 
And once we get underneath the surface, we're able to figure it out. So N.T. Wright, who's a top scholar, he says this in his commentary on Acts for Everyone. He says, uh, he says this, it is at this point where without too much reflection, we can see why many of the Jews heard this message in the first century and rejected it angrily. It must have sounded to them like a compromise. It must have sounded to them like a compromise. All these years, they had been maintaining their Jewish distinction or distinctness, keeping themselves clean from the impure pagan lifestyle of the wider world. They had been true to the commandments which marked them out from the world full of idols all around them. They had suffered many things, mockery, social ostracism, sometimes physical abuse or even death, to be true to this heritage and this calling. And now all these pagans surrounding them were going to come flooding into their world without so much as a by your leave. That's like saying without even asking permission. This was blasphemous nonsense. So hopefully you start seeing kind of what was going on, why there was so much indignation toward this message. It was more than just, oh yeah, God is love and all that stuff. It was a way against their entire way of being. But God is saying, I have so much more in store for you. And, and, and he's messaging that and he's telling them, God loves you. God, you know, God has something new in store for you. Then they move on, and as they move on, there's some doors that start to open, but again, there is opposition once again. They go to Iconium in Acts chapter 14, and the city of Iconium, there's a mixture of those who wanted to hear Jesus and those who just wanted to kill Paul and Barnabas. And so they found out that there's a plot to kill them, you know, and they realized we should probably leave. So they left Iconium, and they went to Lystra. And then in Lystra, there was a man who couldn't walk from birth. Paul looks at this man, and he sees something in his eyes. You know, the Acts talks about that a lot. Looking in their eyes, like, like there's something to that. And, and he heals this man. The power of God heals him through the Apostle Paul. Well, everyone in, in Lystra here, they saw that, and they're saying, what just happened? And, and, uh, and, and, and let me just read this in Acts chapter 14, verses 8 to 13. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He, he listened to Paul, and he was speaking. Uh, as he was speaking, Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet! At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw that Paul had done what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was outside the city, brought bowls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. All right, this is getting intense now. They just healed a man, 
And people here uh, in, 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 in the city, they, they saw that this man was healed, and they thought that they were gods. They thought they were the, the, the Greek god Zeus. This is me, I mean Zeus. And, uh, and so, so Zeus, you know, was uh, the, 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 the god, lowercase g, lowercase g the, the uh, god of the pantheon, the, you know, the god that ruled all of the pantheon stuff. He was the, the god of thunder, and this was Zeus, right? And, and, and they thought that Barnabas was Zeus. And, um, and he was, the, you know, the king of the pantheon of the gods on Mount Olympus, and then Hermes, uh, they thought they thought Paul was Hermes because Hermes was doing all the talking. Because Hermes, one of his uh, things he was known for was he was the guy that was the the, the god of uh, of language of talking, <laughs> and so so they thought that this was him. So the question though is why would they think Paul and Barnabas were Zeus and Hermes? That's kind of weird. There, there, is, there is a little bit of history to kind of explain this. There, there, there is good evidence that during this time, there was this, there's, there's inscriptions uh, and also uh, some, some minor fragments of scrolls, things like, things like that, that talked about um, in this area there that one day Zeus and Hermes would come down as morals. And that... And that when they do, they'd be entertained by all the humans there. And so when, when Paul raised this person, uh, it wasn't Paul that raised him from, the, from being able to walk, but it was God who empowered him, the power of God that, that made this person walk. They thought, this is the story come true. Now, I don't know if that's entirely true, but there is some history um, and reasons to believe that that possibly could have been the case. But so then what happens is they say, no, 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 we're, this is not us. This, we're not Zeus. We're, like, look at me. I'm not Zeus, you know? And, and, and Hermes, no, I'm not Hermes. We're human beings. And then all of a sudden, the procession just went like, like went to a halt. And they're thinking, if you're not Zeus, if you're not Hermes, you must be imposters. Then, Drama starts building again. Then the Jewish agitators come again, and they start saying things like, they're preaching something that's against our way of life. They're preaching things that aren't true, and they're saying what we're doing is wrong, stuff like this. And then all of a sudden, you got this group who thought they were once Zeus and Hermes mad at them, and then you got this group, the Jewish agitators, mad at them, and it, it is looking no good for anybody. And so what happens? Violence happens. And chapter 14, verses 19 and 20. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Paul will be stoned many times and close to death many times. When they stone someone, they get these rocks and they throw them at him or these boulders and they throw it at you. They dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up went back into the city, and the next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached in Derby. Many people came to know the Lord. They made many disciples, and then they, they started heading back for home. And as they headed back for home, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, 
Antioch. And what they were doing in these cities, they were strengthening the faith of the church. They were encouraging them. And what they were also doing was setting up elders in these churches. So these churches would have oversight, asking the Holy Spirit to lead and to work through these elders and through these leaders. It's a beautiful picture of what was happening. And so then they end up selling home, and they, they get home, and, um, and Paul, uh, and then, then as he's encouraging them, he says this, and the band could come on this note, Acts chapter 14. So the Apostle Paul is encouraging them, and, and here's one of the things he says to encourage them. And just keep in mind, there's no sugarcoating here. Verse 22, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. He's encouraging them, but he's promising them that they are going to go through hardships. He's not saying, hey, accept Jesus, everything's going to be okay. He's not saying, you come to the Lord, there's going to be no more issues. He's saying, you come to the Lord, you will have hardships. He promises them that. And the same is true for you and I today. We will face hardships when we live our life for the Lord. Maybe not like Paul and Barnabas, but when we live our life for the Lord, we will face hardships. So what do we take from this message? What do we take from this first missionary journey? Well, one, let us pray and fast this week asking God, the Holy Spirit, to guide us. And may we obey his voice. And so I'm going to challenge all of us, and I'm doing it along with all of us, with all of you. We're doing it together for those who are able, for those who feel called to do it. We want to fast this week. Pick a day. Pick a meal. Pick something to fast from, to focus on the Lord and to ask God to speak to your heart. Maybe there's forgiveness that you need to offer somebody. Maybe there's hurt. I don't know, but use this time for fasting to focus on God. The second thing we could take from this is let's encourage others with the truth of Jesus' love. Let's be bold this week in sharing our message about Jesus. Not abrasive, but bold and gentle and loving and caring and humble in letting people know about the Lord. Third, Let's show grace and love to all those we disagree with. Paul and Barnabas, there's a lot of people who disagreed with them. But as we saw in the story there, they showed grace and they showed love. May you and I be men and women who reflect the character of Christ so people will see Jesus in and through us. Amen? Let's stand together.